Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake, the one belonging to Simon Peter, and asked him to pull out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the crowds from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon Peter answered, Master, we have worked all night and we have caught nothing. But if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken in. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon Peter. Then Jesus said to Simon Peter, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and they followed Jesus. This is a word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Friends, today we are continuing our sermon series that we are going through in the season of Epiphany called Choosing to Be the Church. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about how, as people of faith, we have a particular call on each one of our lives that God gives to us, and that when we come together as a community, as the church, there are responsibilities that we have. There are choices that we are invited to make in response to this call that is on our lives. We've talked over the last few weeks about how we are invited to make the choice to pray, to be people of prayer, to be people who walk away from the things in our lives that distract us or that run counter to that call, people who choose to build up the body of faith, to rebuild or to deepen our commitment to one another, even when things become difficult, even when we don't get everything we need. And last week we talked about what it means to choose to be people who give abundantly out of whatever it is that we have. Today we are going to be talking about the choice to exercise or to engage in holy imagination. And you might be thinking, I'm not really sure what imagination has to do with faith, really. Being a disciple, a faithful follower of Jesus, and how is it holy? Well, that's the thing that I want to explore today with us. And if there is anyone who can teach us a thing or two about imagination, it is children. As a part of this series, we have been inviting different members in our community to talk about their experiences with each of the themes this week. If you get and read the constant contact, you've heard from some of our members so far. And over the last week or so, we have asked some of our kids what they think imagination means to them, and we took a video of it. Do we have that video that we can show? Here's what they say. Imagination is like to basically be creative and to like um, do whatever you want and be free. 
Imagination is a be like a pretend friend. Imagination is like a pretend friend. Our smallest children in our midst, they are able to teach us something that they know deep in their bones that hardly anyone has had to tell them. Human beings, they seem to have this innate ability to imagine possibility and to be creative. Kids do this so easily. They exercise imaginations that push them beyond the boundaries of what appears to be possible. Growing up, I liked to imagine that my grandmother's hall closet was a rocket ship, and I was an astronaut, and the typewriter that she kept on the bottom shelf was my mission control center that I could operate from inside the rocket. When I would go swimming with a friend in her pool, we would pretend that we were in the ocean and we were sea turtles swimming as a family together alongside great white sharks and manatees and dolphins. When I would go to the bowling alley that my aunt uh, was in a league at every week, my sister and I would imagine that we were chefs and the women's bathroom that had a swinging door was our kitchen. Kind of gross, but this is what we imagined, and that we would go through these swinging doors, hustling and bustling, pretending to carry things, and serving our aunt's friends all of these fine delicacies and five-course meals. When I was angry at my family, I would go down to the park at the end of our street, and I would run in figure-eight circles around the trees and pretend that I was a fairy that had wings and I could just fly away from all of my problems. I never got sick of these imaginations. I played them over and over again in my mind. You couldn't tell me that they were a waste of time or too silly or not real in some way. And we probably all have memories like this. Some of us who are privileged to raise children or grandchildren or interact with kids on a daily basis, we know that they challenge us to imagine or reimagine the possibilities. They kind of have to. Because as we get older, it seems that it becomes harder for us to exercise our adult imaginations. Instead of looking at the world or our lives for their endless possibility, we are taught to define them more often by what is not possible. Our worlds, they kind of narrow a bit as we get older. I read a true story this week, I think, about a guy named Jack who raises money for at-risk youth by holding fundraisers at his friend Monty's horse farm. And at the last fundraiser they had, when Monty got up to introduce Jack, he told a story about why he lets Jack always be, and be on and use the horse farm. Monty grew up the son of an itinerant horse trainer. They didn't have a lot of resources. They had to go wherever Monty's dad got a job, and so they moved a lot, which meant that his school career and his education was always getting interrupted. But when he finally made it to his senior year, he was given an assignment to write a paper about what he wanted to do and be as he got older, maybe where he wanted to go to school and what he wanted to end up doing. 
So Monty went home that night and he wrote a seven-page paper describing his goal to someday own a horse ranch. He went into elaborate detail. He even created diagrams of a 200-acre ranch where buildings and the stables and the tracks and all that would be, and a diagram of the 4,000-square-foot house that Monty was going to live in on his sort of dream ranch. He put in a ton of work and heart into this project, and he turned it in. But when he got the paper back, on the front page was a large letter F, and it said, see me after class. So when Monty went up to the teacher after class and asked what was going on, the teacher said to him, you know, Monty, this is a pretty unrealistic dream. The assignment was to write a paper that details what you actually want to do. Your family doesn't have a lot of money. You haven't had a full education. Do you even realize how much it costs, how much experience you need to, to own horses, to run a ranch? You have to buy the land. You have to pay major fees for the breeders and the medical physicians and all those things. There's no way that you could probably do something like this. I'm going to need you to rewrite the paper, and if you do, I'll reconsider your grade. Nice teacher, right? So Monty went home, and he was distraught. He didn't know what to do. He asked his dad, and his dad said, you know, Monty, this is a decision that you're going to have to make on how to deal with this, but it is an important one. So Monty thought about it for about a week, and he ultimately decided to turn in the paper without having made any adjustments. He went into the teacher, and he said, you can keep the F, and I'll keep the dream. And 30 years later, as Monty told this story for Jack and his group, they were sitting in his 4,000-square-foot house in the middle of a 200-acre ranch with a, the paper framed over the fireplace. As adults, imagination becomes a bit of a dirty word. It becomes a waste of time. We say phrases like, stop imagining things, quit daydreaming. I couldn't imagine doing that. In our culture, politicians with audacious goals, they're mocked. The devout and religious get accused of living a fantasy because they can't deal with the real world. Young people who believe in making the world a better place and making a difference, they're often labeled idealists or bleeding hearts or immature. We lose our capacity as adults to imagine for all sorts of reasons. We know that life doesn't always turn out in happy endings. We know that we're so busy that it's hard to imagine wasting time on frivolous things that don't earn immediate payoffs. The problems that face our collective humanity are so big it's hard to imagine that a little sheer imagination would solve anything. But losing our capacity to imagine, it's actually a dangerous thing. For many of us, when we can't imagine our lives differently, it leaves us stuck. Most costly, many of us, we lose our capacity to imagine what a full life lived in love and service and worship to God would be like. We can't imagine ourselves living more sacrificially or more simply. We can't imagine feeling healed from our grief. We can't really see ourselves being more spiritually mature than we are right now or being the type of people that overflow with joy or peace or hope or love or any of the fruits of the Spirit. It's 
hard for us to imagine that we are in a world with a God that does extraordinary things for us or in us or with us. And when we lose our ability to imagine, we end up losing our ability to hope in the possibility for change in us or in the world around us. Instead of being compelled to work for or pursue change, we resign ourselves to just sort of being stuck and okay with how things are. In both of our texts for this morning, we find characters who seem to maybe be struggling in the same way, unable to imagine anything beyond their own immediate circumstances, and it nearly paralyzes them. In our gospel passage, we encounter disciples who are expert fishermen, and they're out all night, and they've caught nothing. They're exhausted as they pull their boats back to shore the next morning. They probably feel like they just wasted a gigantic amount of time. They're probably anxious over where their next meal or their resources are coming from. Maybe they're annoyed at the thought that their only hope in changing their circumstances is to go back out the next night and waste more time and try it all over again. And in that very moment, Jesus decides to co-opt their boat and tells them to set back out into the deep waters and let down their nets, which they do, but only reluctantly. They're probably thinking as they're rowing their boats back out, who the heck does this guy think he is? We're the expert fishermen here, and we've been out there all night. But they're surprised to find that Jesus accomplishes something that by their standards he shouldn't have been able to do. In a world that set narrow parameters around what is and isn't possible, they struggled to imagine the possibilities. And instead of responding in amazement or wonder in the moment that Jesus did all of this stuff, they first respond out of different instincts, instincts that may actually be quite familiar to us when we encounter people who push the boundaries of what's possible or who are different from us or may be experiencing more success. They try to push Jesus away. Peter says, Lord, get away from me. I am not worthy. I don't want anything to do with this. And Peter lived in a world that kind of devalued people like him, told him who he could or couldn't be, what he could or couldn't attain, how far he could go. And Peter probably can't even begin to imagine what a guy like Jesus would want to do with someone like him. He can't begin to imagine how his life would offer any more than the routine day-in and day-out monotony of just trying to survive. Our Old Testament text is no different. When the prophet Isaiah agrees to be sent by God to bring what he hopes will be good news to the people of Israel, instead God tells him that he first has to bring news of destruction. After he says, here God, I'm here, send me, he then has to come face to face with the difficult realities of his world and go to a group of people and tell them that they may not survive it. And pretty soon in the text, he's saying, how long, God? How long do I have to do this? What good could possibly come of this? These characters, they cannot see beyond what they think they know. The possibilities beyond their current painful realities. But this does not stop God from calling them to try. 
from stoking the embers in their imaginations and inviting them to imagine a God who will move beyond what they think is possible. To imagine a world that is richer and deeper and thicker with possibility than they were originally told. To imagine that their lives have more value and are more significant to this world and to its future outcomes than they were taught. And it is this imagination that ends up giving their lives purpose and meaning. It is the thing that inspires them to action and to move in a new direction. And so when we say that imagination is, na- is uh, naively idealistic, maybe not. Maybe it is partially, but it's also the thing that inspires us to act, to roll up our sleeves, and to work for the kind of world we want to see. In a world that is building a culture where we respond to all the things that are going on around us with anxiety and fear and anger and hostility, we can be the type of people that respond instead with courage and creativity because we believe that the imaginative power of the Spirit of God is still at work around us and in us. I think we need a holy imagination to face the problems in our lives and in this world, in our home lives, in our work lives. Maybe some of us are struggling with mental health issues or frustrations of various kinds. We need a holy imagination to deal with the issues facing us like climate injustice or racism and sexism, economic injustice, how we love our LGBT plus friends in a culture and time like this, how we deal with the differences between us that we don't know how to deal with. We need a holy imagination. We need a holy imagination here in this local community as we think about the future of this church and where God might be calling us to act. Each of us, we've been given gifts and graces and talents toward what imaginative ends are we going to use them? As a church, you know, we are being given new opportunities at this very moment to invest more fully in the lives of young people and college students and families in the community and our elderly and those who are grieving. Can we imagine the tremendous impact that we might have, or the lives that could be changed, or the love of God that would be found if we could courageously accept these opportunities and choose to hope that something extraordinary might just come from them. Thankfully, there are people in our midst in this congregation at this very moment who model what it means to have a holy imagination. Our children are some of them, but there are also a precious few who still live nearly their whole lives and never lose their ability to imagine the possibilities. Those of you who read our constant contact for this week got to hear from our friend Jan, who has been an artist for her whole life. If you haven't read it, you should. Artists teach us to see the world for what it could be, not for what it currently is. And she said it this way, I know that none of my creativity would have been possible without feeling the Spirit working with me and within me.
God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, and I feel my creative talents have been a blessing all my life. Whenever I'm using my natural-born talents, I believe that I am drawing closer to God. When we can imagine what is possible in the world and in our lives, when we think not about what is but what could be, The gospel reminds us that the Spirit of God is able to inspire us and move us in mighty ways, mightier than we'd be able to do on our own. And so I would invite us this morning as we think about the possibilities to join our hearts in prayer, to ask God to inspire each one of our lives in the talents that we've been given in the circumstances that we face. And I pray that we would ask God to give us a holy imagination. Let us pray together. Gracious God, we believe that your spirit of creativity and generosity and abundance and generativity is with us, is animating our lives, is connecting us to one another at this very moment. God, help us to see it. Help us to be brave and courageous and give us the strength to look to the future and imagine together. To imagine the transformation that could happen and the work that would get done and the love that might be found. If we stand together in hope in the possibilities. God, give us a holy imagination today. Guide our conversations. Guide our dreaming. And give us clarity and wisdom along the way. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, the Christ, and all God's people said together, Amen.